Once you reach the top, everybody's working hard. Like hard work is not the secret sauce. The secret sauce is like having the ability to like ask the right questions and try to like do things that people aren't doing and like taking risks, not just like on the hill, but taking risks in your approach and how you do it and like being willing to do different things. And I think that was what separated me. And I think because I wasn't good at a young age, I like experimented and played around and was like free to do that because I wasn't like trying to protect some status. Like I wasn't trying to like, oh, I'm the best kid at 14 years old. Like I better just like keep on this trajectory and like trust the process and I'll be good. Like, no, there was no like trust in the process. I had to like do things differently and try different things in order to like try to break through because trust in the process, I would have been a mediocre college skier. Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold. Say yes to adventure. Say yes to living it. So welcome to Chris Whiteout Living It today. I'm super excited to have Ted Ligety, recently retired Ted Ligety, uh, Mr. GS, two-time Olympic gold medalist, four-time Olympian, uh, what is it? Six, six uh, small globes. So five GS titles, one combined title. Do I have that right? Yeah, the combined title that 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 was the one year they didn't award the globe for it. So I don't officially have a globe in combined, but oh. I'll, I'll take it. If you wanna, if you wanna inflate my numbers, I'll happily take it. <laughs> I'll do it. Do you want me to go talk to Fizz for you and see if we can get that crystal globe for you? Yeah, hopefully, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> but and also the chairman and co-founder of Shred Optics. So Ted, welcome and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you. Now we were talking a little bit beforehand because I'm just interested about retirement, right? Like what happens in retirement? You said that it's not been great thus far, right? Well, yeah. So I retired. I mean, I guess officially like six, seven weeks ago. Um, World Championships is going to be my last race. I ended up having a back issue a week before World Championships. So I ended up ending the season, my career a week early, which was a bummer, but not really that big of a deal in the whole consequential scheme of things because I had already kind of decided on it. But the back issue ended up being worse than I thought I was having. Like I had a cortisone injection in Europe because I was having like the worst pain in my life and my back and then I got home and like my leg was weak and numb and so I tried to like just see if it would get better on its own and it didn't and then had back surgery last week and so I had the same surgery a few years ago and it was like simple just like walked out of there feeling better and now I'm like not in good shape <laughs> like limping around like wasn't able to walk for, for a couple days and so um, getting on the mend, you know, I don't have to get back to elite sporting status. I just need to get to, a, you know, to play hard as a dad. <laughs> it's, it's a quality of life deal though, isn't it? Like you, you've spent all this time being a high level athlete and, and you still want to be able to enjoy yourself after you've retired. I, when I retired, I said, I want to train to play and make my playing training. Yeah. Which ended up being harder to achieve than I had anticipated. That's a but good way of looking at that. I like it. Feel free. And hopefully you yeah, can do it <laughs> better than I can. It, it takes a fair amount of effort. It sounds like it's relatively easy. Yeah. When you're looking at retirement, are you 
saying that there are certain things that you will never ever do again? Like you're no, I don't work out of. I mean, I'll never race a World Cup again. I don't see that. I don't. I, my body, I don't think, would let me do it again. So, um, I want to do like all the things that revolved around it. Like I enjoy working out. I enjoy all like the stuff around what I did and I'm a competitive person. I want to play sports hard and I want to charge and I want to ski hard. And I want, I like want to still ski some gates here and there every once in a while, just for fun too, you know, just cause like those things are fun. I love doing them. So I no longer have the expectation of doing it at, at an elite level and feel like I have to like beat myself up over trying to be fast and, and all that. But um, I still want to charge hard for sure. I mean, I'm actually looking forward to like mountain biking now and not worried about like hurting myself. <laughs> Cause I was always like, I've been mountain biking my whole life, but I've always been like too afraid of like jumping or doing anything too crazy because I was like, Oh, if I like separate my shoulder, in July, I'm not going to be able to train for two months and that's going to ruin my season. So now I'm a little bit more free in that regard, but I have to stay healthy to, to chase these kids around. I have three kids. So, uh, it's a handful. Well, you're going to have to stay healthy and probably train to be able to chase those kids around the idea of, of getting, of getting hurt, you know, like when, the, when your, your joy, when your passion becomes your profession, Yep. It changes the perspective a little bit, doesn't it? This idea of I could get hurt and not be able to do what I'm supposed to do. How does that feel like it frees you up now, not having that that obligation? I mean, skiing probably wise too, right? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, it's nice to like know looking forward that like I don't have to like train in like a professional level and I don't have to like, I was pretty regimented. I was like, try to like always have a very like solid weekly routine and working out and getting ready and preparing for the season and trying to like get ready to be my best in my best shape and all that. And not having to like do that is definitely a relief. Like my wife was like, well, like, why don't you just like, re like be done, but don't really say anything. And then like, if you want to come back later, you can come back later. And I was like, no, you can't just like, I can't go a summer of like, not like, being in a waffling position, I either like, it's either foot on the gas, I got to like train hard to be the best, or I do, I can like just do fun stuff. Like I can't do what I want halfway. I got to do it all the way or, or not at all. And so um, it'll be a relief not having to like be in the gym five days a week. I still want to work out, but like those pieces and there's like definitely sacrifices, like traveling and being away from my family for a long time like stuff like that so there's like it's a it's a it's a relief at, 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 a, at a certain level as well will you will you do your what is it your six minutes <laughs> of death workout is it six minutes of death or pain oh yeah yeah no i don't, I don't need to punish myself like that i want to work out to stay strong and stay healthy and be able to do the sports and the fun stuff and ski and do everything at a high recreational level, but I don't need to like really throw myself through the gauntlet. You don't need to be ready for that bottom pitch at Adelboden or something like that when your legs are burning. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not training for uh, elite level sports anymore. I'm, tra uh, I'm training for fun level sports. <laughs> Which is great. And you want to be able to do it well. And obviously you've done it so well. How, what, what, what do you think you'll miss 
the most. I mean, it's, it's so close right now. I'd imagine it, it'll change over time. But right now, do you think you'll miss anything about being a competitive athlete? Yeah, I know I'll miss a lot, actually. Um, I mean, the competitive, like racing at the highest level and like that competitive jitters and feeling of like trying to compete against the best in the world and being one of the best in the world, like all those feelings like around a race, I will definitely miss. Like that's you can't really replicate that anywhere else. Like to be able to like stand in a start gate and know you have to like throw down and that's like, you're like, that's such a small opportunity. Like you definitely get that rush and adrenaline and the jitters and like that will be hard to replicate anywhere else. I think it'll be hard to like, my whole life has been centered around like trying to ski race fast and, and all that. So like definitely like the day to day, like goals and purpose is like, different now it's like it'll, it's not like there isn't that day-to-day purpose and goals but it's just not the same as it is when you like have dedicated the last I mean I consider like starting to take ski racing professionally serious from when I was like 14 going to learn sports school so from that point until now that's a long time of like having a singular focus and so that'll be like a different adjustment for sure I'll miss like the camaraderie of my teammates. I'll miss like a lot of my friends and stuff that I see on a regular basis over in Europe and, and all those experiences. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a new, it's a new world as well. So it's exciting. It's, it's like, it's scary and it's exciting. It's interesting that you talk about that being willing to throw down. And I've always thought of the starting gate as like the ultimate decision maker, right? That it's like, once you go through that starting gate, you you only have what you've done in terms of preparation and Mm -hmm. and it's it's your physical pressure preparation it's your mental preparation do you get attached to those little things that you have to do to make the difference i mean it's like you're just it's a sport that's determined in hundreds of a second i think what's unique about ski racing is like other sports you can go out there and like kind of suck or be off your game for the first little bit of your of it you know you can like you're a tennis player or golfer like you can suck for like half an hour or an hour and like get back into and still win um most sports like you back whatever sport it is like there's definitely a room to like not be on the top of your game from when you leave when you start the match in ski racing like the longest gs course is a minute 20 or so the longest downhill course a minute 25 like if you're not on it from one tenth of a second in then you are done like there's no chance there's no like getting it back and like figuring your way back into it. Like you have to have it figured out in the start and be confident in your approach and go for it. Cause like your opportunity window of opportunity is like, yeah, is that minute and some, you know? So it's a, uh, it's, it's a hard challenge. Like psych yourself up for that little bit of time and, and having like that preparation, all that. And like, they also like in ski racing, like there's never like a perfect prep period. You always like wish you were more prepared but you have to like roll with it. Um, so it's just, it's an interesting like sport in that regard. And I, I always kind of thought I might just be like building it up because I was a ski racer, but I think it's the hardest mental sport out there because of, because it's always variable. There's no two days or two courses or two runs that are exactly the same. And your opportunity window is like, is so, so small. Um, and there's so many factors that you have no control over that can make or break your day. So that makes it really difficult um, mentally to be like on top of your game consistently at a high level. 
and and it's really hard at that highest level the 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 differential is so small like to the naked eye watching watching somebody ski luckily we have the clock right that helps us out and goes oh okay he was faster than than this guy or whatever but just watching it with the naked eye it's really hard to tell a difference and so you've got these like infinitesimal kind of little differentials and 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 you have to do so much work beforehand yeah to be prepared which i mean i always thought that that was kind of the intoxicating part of it you at one point though were blowing the world away i mean 2.75 seconds i mean that was that was obscene that was back to back to stenmark standards and i'm a little bit older than you are i grew up watching stenmark who you know in a lot of ways was he was the fastest guy but he was also like beautiful as well like just watching him ski was like watching watching ballet I think it was back in like, I think it was like 2013, something like that. There was a race at Beaver Creek and NBC did an interview with your mother. And you were like, you were killing everybody. And they said, well, so was this, you know, was this the way Ted always was as a kid? And your mother kind of chuckled and said, oh no, no, no. Like all the boys used to beat him. All the girls used to beat him. (laughs) Was that actually true? I think I was like the fifth or sixth best kid on the Park City ski team born in 1984. So, um, yeah, I would get, yeah, I was not anywhere close to being the best. I definitely had like times where, yeah, I'd get beat by everybody. Like I wasn't even close like to being even among the best on my local ski team. And then it wasn't until I was probably like 17 or 18 that I started like getting to the point where I was like one of the better on the local club and starting to get recognized regionally. So I got dominated on for a long, long time. And I, I credit that actually a huge part of like, I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done and had like the same like fight and fire and that like mental approach and that hunger if I was good at that age. And I think like, getting beat down and like being frustrated and all that was like what allowed me to like continue having that fire and drive once I started like reaching those next levels and like was always pushing me like I always had to like work harder but like once you reach the top everybody's working hard like hard work is like is not the secret sauce everybody works hard like once you're at the top it's like the secret sauce is like having the ability to like ask the right questions and try to like do things that people aren't doing and like taking risks, not just like on the hill, but taking risks in your approach and how you do it and like being willing to do different things. And I think that was what separated me. And I think because I wasn't good at a young age, I like experimented and played around and was like free to do that because I wasn't like trying to protect some status. Like I wasn't trying to like, Oh, I'm the best kid at, 14 years old, like I better just like keep on this trajectory and like trust the process and I'll be good. Like, no, there was no like trust in the process. I had to like go break it and like do different, <laughs> do things differently and try different things in order to like try to break through because trust in the process, I would have been a mediocre college skier. Were you, were you the one? orchestrating that were you the one going out and breaking shit or was it 
was it with the coaches or your parents or was it was it kind of an individualistic pursuit where you're like okay this isn't working i'm gonna figure it out yeah i think it was individualistic pursuit um i mean of course i had coaches and people like helped me along the way but i mean a certain like if you want to like make a difference and like change things you have to take it upon yourself like you have to take ownership in it my parents were like very hands-off in my skiing like they wanted me to do well in school and if like skiing was fun and i was still doing well in school and not being a brat that's like that was their goal for it you know and they are both good recreational skiers but they don't have any idea of what ski racing really is i mean they do better now but especially back then um so like they had no hope hopes or goals or aspirations to my skiing and i think that allowed me also to like take ownership in it and it was my own own thing and like I was separate from them and I could do like that's what made me love it too like it was kind of a way to like be on my own and have some ownership and and do my own thing with my friends I mean that was like also like part of it was just like pushing my friends like I think I was lucky growing up like the first generation of kids growing up with carving skis too is like it was new and exciting and like so we would go like play after training. We'd go like do arcing contests and like, so you could like, you know, arc on their elbow and like do all these things. And so, yeah, I think it took like kind of doing it on my own and like having friends would be pushing myself, but also like if I was the best, I wouldn't have like been willing to do all those things too. So physical and mental as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, the the physical yeah the physical side is just like being willing to like experiment with yourself um mentally i think like i was always good better in races growing up than i was in training really not that i i was good at either i was getting my butt kicked at both but i get my butt kicked by way more in training and then in races i'd be a little bit closer sometimes um i think i was always like good at like letting myself just ski like not trying to like get get not letting my head get in the way of my skiing um which i think like happens so often in, in all sports like your head just gets in the way um it's so the biggest impediment isn't it i mean your head in skiing it seems like it, you know skiing and golf and some of those other sports mm -hmm. it's almost like if you could de detach your head yeah exactly life would work out the performance would work out a whole lot better yeah you talk sure. about free skiing as as being such an important part of your progression and what you were able to do as an athlete. What what is what does that mean? Why why free skiing versus being in gates? Uh, I think free skiing allows you to just like experiment and play more on your skis. Um, like the gates are like such a fun constraint. It's like, it limits you to where you can go and all that. And it's like, it pushes you and it focuses you, but you also like, because of those constraints aren't playing as much. And I think it's hard to like learn how to play in gates. It's like, when you, and that's like missed in all sports, but especially in skiing is like the over-professionalization of kids sports is like, you're not just like going out there and like playing pickup, whatever it is skiing needs the same thing like free skiing is like the pickup of of our sport and going out and like straight lining mogul fields or hitting cliffs or hitting jumps and 
just trying to carve and play, I think was really important in like pushing my limits. And then like you get more comfortable when you try to bring some of those skills back into the gates because you had more miles and you can only ski like so many runs in the gates before you're like dead, but you can go out and free ski and take 40 runs and just playing around all day long, you know, so you can get so many more miles in that way. Um, so I think that's like, that's an unfortunate thing. I think that's, that's missed in like younger kids development is they don't like spend enough time just like out there playing. Is that where you get in touch with the individualistic side of the sport? I mean, you definitely had an individual style that was different than a lot of people. And we talked about, you know, like Stenmark back in the day and you kind of look at like a Stenmark versus the mayors, but then you, you look at like Tomba and Giardelli and, and, and some of these guys who, you know, Von Grunigan, you know, who might be more similar to you in some ways, but, but how it goes through such, where you look at the people at the top and that there is not one cookie cutter, this is the way that you do it. Whereas sometimes I think what you're talking about with being in Gates, you can become an automaton, right? Automaton, I can't get it. You can become a robot, right? We'll call it a robot as opposed to to having this individualistic kind of feel did you did you have any direction in that like any any heroes any anybody who kind of pushed you in that way on the on the free skiing side just like my friends i think like and i grew up liking to like watching like big mountain movies and like free ski movies and stuff so i was inspired by like that side of things and like in high school and stuff, that's like kind of when free skiing was taking off. And there are some kids in the winter school that were some of the best guys in the world for that. So I was like inspired by, by that side of, of the sport as well. And I think like when you're out free skiing, like you're just having fun and you're like, you're feeling what you're doing, you know, you're like, you're not just like doing stuff to do stuff. You like feel if you do this, it changes the way your skis tip there. And you like start to like, feel different things and how your ski reacts to different body movements. Um, and I think like taking inspiration from like uh, those other aspects of the sport was, was influential and, and having it being like fun and friend driven. Like it was just like a few of my buddies and I would just go like rip around and like ski all day. And that was like, that was fun. So um, I think that's just like, yeah. And that's part of why my technique is like, different than a lot of other my peers is that it's derived from just like playing in like my own feeling I feel like that's sometimes when you watch a lot of other ski racers like they are so they try to be like you say robotic and so technical that they like lose the feeling like they lose like they don't know if you like drop your hand here twist your hip there what it does to your skis you know like they don't play enough they don't understand like all the different variables that you can like place play with on your skis. And so um, that was really valuable for me. I one of my favorite quotes is a Picasso quote where he said that it took me four years to learn to paint like Raphael, but a lifetime to learn to paint like a child. Yeah. And it seems like that's exactly what you're talking about is like you get the you get the basics, you know, not to call Raphael yeah. basics by any means, but like you figure out how to do it, but then you figure out how to do it that that fits yourself. Was it the fun that kept you going when you were when you were getting beaten up on in sport in in the races, or was it a belief that you were going to going to get better? 
I think I stuck with it. Yeah, largely because it was fun, but it was like a large part of my social circle too. Like my, most of my best friends were still doing it. So I think like if I was doing it, I was getting beat by that much and I wasn't with my friends, I probably wouldn't have stuck with it, but I was with my friends too. So it was like, it was fun. It was social. Um, I loved like, I, I loved doing it. I was motivated. Um, so that's what stuck, why I stuck with it. Um, if I, yeah, if I didn't have any of those factors, it would, it would have been hard for me to stick with it. That's for sure. It seems like you were you were pursuing it for the right purposes, right? That it was for the fun, for the enjoyment, for the social part. And obviously you're still working hard. When did things change for you? When did when did you start going from seeing everybody's back kind of thing to like people being behind you? I mean, it didn't happen over it happened quickly in relative terms, but it was like one. I think there's like a couple like moments when things changed is like I broke my hand in the middle of the season when I was like 17 or so. I, I'm trying to like think of exactly the season and I couldn't ski with a pole for like a month and, and some. And so I wasn't really training gates. So I was just free skiing without poles and like I'd free ski or I'd train a little bit of GS without poles, but like that made me like take a step back and like do something different and like, I skied a lot, but I was skiing differently and having to like a new variable that I had to contend with. And then when like I could ski with poles again, I made this like huge jump for like the, it was at the very end of the season I could race again. And I went from being, yeah, like an okay kid on the park ski team to being pretty good regionally. And then, um, the next season, like I broke out again and, um, I started like the thirties in fist races and we're winning some fist races and then started to win a couple of fist races by a lot. And I think just that like started to build. Um, and then I made, when I made the U S ski team, I think like, I just barely made like the U S ski team when I was 19 by like the skin of my teeth the year after I made the year after I graduated high school. And I think like having like the ability to like fully concentrate on it, but also like being I entered the ski team, like thinking I was going to get my butt kicked and training, like in the gym in on the Hill and all that. And like, when I started to realize like, Oh, I was just as strong as these guys. And like, Oh, I'm right there and training with them. And like all of a sudden I was like, Oh, like this isn't like, I've been building this up to be too hard all my life. Like, I think actually like now I have, like, I had the skills and like, I started to like believe in myself more. And then it wasn't so built up in my mind. I think another like formative piece was I four in the Olympics in 2002 and being like in the start and like in between runs with like my childhood heroes and realizing they're just like acting almost exactly the same as like my 17 year old friends and I in between runs and everything like seeing how human it was also was like a light bulb in my head like oh Cause I'd always like thought in my head, like, Oh, imagine like if you were like the favorite of the Olympics, like going to the big, your, like big Olympic day, like how nervous, like how do those guys sleep? And like, whatever it is. And then to like see them on the big day and they, like, Oh, it's just like, they're just like me and my buddies when we have a big race. Like, it's not like, and even some ways more relaxed than some of us were. And to realize that you didn't have to be a robot, I think was also a big, like mental hurdle I cleared too. Um, and it all made it seem more approachable. 
yeah taking them off television and like making them actually human like flesh and blood you know okay they're not that much different than i am you when you so what uh 2004 silver medal at at world juniors yeah and then and then you went to you went to world cups after that right as a result of of being there you went and and raced in some world cups and didn't you didn't you qualify you know like get a result in your in your first world cup my first world cup was actually the last was my first race on the us ski team actually like i trained all summer long um and then we had some world cup like a qualifying race a week before the world cup in park city which is the last time they raced in park city and they let us development team kids do it just kind of for shits and giggles like why not let these kids race i ended up winning the time trial and so i started racing world cup pretty much right away now i was kind of bouncing between world cups and norams and europa cups that year um and then was yeah silver at world juniors and then the next race was in kronskogora and qualified in the second run there ended up having like a really fast second run i fell three gates in the finish line still finished 23rd but if the race had finished three gates earlier i would have been fourth place and i was so i was like oh man i have like i that was like another realization like oh i can like be amongst the best um in the world with these guys and won europa cup a couple days later with like the the same world cup field and then the next year was you know in the top 15 most of the races and so you know that was a big step forward well i remember talking to your father at Jan's winter welcome. And it was, it was the night before Solden. And so this was 2005, right? So this is, so you were starting 64th or whatever. And we were kind of talking and, and, and I remember kind of saying to him like, yeah, well, you know, that's, that's tough. Like you got to pay your dues and you're starting so far back. And then eventually hopefully he moves his way up. And, but then you, you ended up what 23rd this the first run and then ended up eighth the second run so my theory was completely wrong you started do you attribute your your success when you made it to the world cup to that difficulty that you had kind of earlier in your career or or what to what can you attribute it 100 percent, yeah to yeah growing up and not being the best is like yeah, it gave me that fire and gave me that drive and that willingness to try things other people weren't doing. And I think like a lot of people struggle when they like on the, in skiing, when they like reach a ski team, they like feel like they have to like do every step. Like they have to get good at Norams and they have to get good at Europa cups and they have to get good at, and they have to like build confidence in each level. And I was like, Oh, well, like, once I'm with these guys right now, like, why am I not like with them and beating them in like races? And like, so why like go through all these steps? Let's just jump straight up there. You know, like why, like why mess around in like the trenches when you can just like, you can just be good right now. Why not just be good right now? That's like, I say this to like kids on the ski team all the time. They're like, Oh, I just got to trust the process. And I got to do this and that. And then I was like, no, like you were better skiers than these these guys, some of these guys winning right now, like, just go do it now. Like, why not? What, what, what better time than now to like, like step up and actually like ski the way you know how to ski. And I think I was able to like make that hurt, like jump that hurdle quickly. Like I didn't have to like 
once I knew I was like fast enough, I was like, okay, then let's just be fast enough. Like, let's just do it. <laughs> Which is an awesome mindset and a really yeah. hard mindset to have. I mean, skiing is yeah. a sport that can beat you down, but you also have the disadvantage of starting 64th. So the course is a little bit different at 64 than it is at one. So paying those dues and recognizing that you were fast, that, that to me is like the mental fortitude to be able to say, I'm just going to believe it when, when these guys behind me are getting ready to pull the course. Like they're like, okay, go Ted. We're gonna take the course down once you're done. Like you're an impediment, you're slowing us down. We're gonna take the course down and reset the second run. So to be able to, is that, it's just interesting, just the mental mindset to say, no, I'm gonna be fast now. You attributed, you said, to growing up, but is that just, is that something that you're able to maintain throughout to be able to have that, that sort of click in your mindset to say, this is the job, I do my job and I don't worry about it? How does that work? So we were talking like earlier about like the mental side of ski racing is like, I knew going to that race, I was beating Bodie and Darren who were like the best guys in the world in giant slalom and GS training. So I was like, well, like in training, I'm one of the fastest guys. So I should just like ski that way in a race. And if I just ski that way in a race, it'll be fast enough. And like sold and it was like icy and it was, it was good conditions relatively to start 64. Like there are some races, if, if it was a different hill, I would have had no chance in certain conditions of qualifying from there, but it was like good conditions. So I skied well, and then I was skiing on a fresh course and in better conditions. And I just like, it's like, it's, I feel like sometimes people like are like, Oh, winning is so hard. And it is, it's really hard, but sometimes winning is really easy or sometimes being good is really easy. You just have to do it. Like if you have, if you already like, have the skills and feel like you have the skills and, and and are like at that level then like just do it at that level like why not just like follow through um and that's kind of i guess how my mindset was like i was there in training with those guys so i should just ski that way in a race which is hard to do it's it's a really hard mental battle to do it but it's just a matter of like saying yes i'll do i'll do that well, especially in a two-run race, right? So the two-run race that sometimes if you're starting 64, like just getting a good result out of that first run can be an emotional journey and yeah. exhausting. And, and you see a lot of athletes who coming from the back have a great first run and then have the opportunity like, okay, you, you're starting first now. Like you have a clean course. This is exactly what you want and hook you know three gates into a slalom or something like that and have missed the opportunity that they've built for is that something that takes sort of preparation and anticipation like like before the race knowing okay first run i know this is what i can do i i'm going to expect to be here i'm going to expect to have a second run i'm going to expect to have a decent course as opposed to having it be a surprise or, or is there, is there a mindset that you say, look, it's a two run race and I'm in it, I'm in it to win it. And I'm going to do what I have to do to get both runs to be as fast as possible. 
Yeah, I guess like I didn't think about it in like tactical ways. I thought about like in the simplest terms of just like just going out there and skiing at my ability. And like, I feel like a lot of like the younger guys, they get their first run. They just want to like score some points. But just like if you score one to 10 points, like it doesn't change anything for you. You still end up starting at the very end of the next at the next race. And like you don't actually like sure, sure you scored points, but like that doesn't actually do anything in the terms of your career. It's nice to say you've been in a second run, but like, if you're there, you just like, you have to keep like just ski the way you know how to ski. And then maybe if you are actually are good enough, you'll make a huge move and like win the second run and be get to eighth. Like I did, you know, that's so I think I was willing to like, let myself ski the way I knew how to ski, which I think is like, is, is rare. I think not a lot of people let themselves ski the way they know how to ski. It's it's a challenge and something that often happens toward the end of the year almost, right? It's almost like you put in all your time, the sun finally comes out in the spring and you go, okay, now I'm just going to have fun. But if you can take yeah. that mentality, and it sounds like you were spectacular at that mentality, but you also, you had fun. So one of your biggest breakthroughs, I mean, you talked about getting to forerun, in 2002 and for running on the hill that you trained on. And obviously you didn't train on that full length GS very often. They didn't start you around the corner on the flats and come on to, onto CVs with that like 270 degree turn or whatever that you basically have to make coming onto CVs. But, but you had been on that hill, but the, the big breakthrough when you sort of introduced yourself to the world was, was at the Olympics went in Torino when you won that when you won the combined you said that you thought you might have had a chance I was predicting I mean this is just me and, and it was me in my living room but I was predicting that you were going to win it because it was going to be two runs of slalom and but how much fun were you having running slalom in 2006 I was loving running slalom in 2006. That was, that was a breakout year for me. I'd been on the podium a few times in slalom. I think I was second in the world at the time in slalom and was just like in the zone in that event. Um, so it was so much fun. I mean, I still think like when slalom is going well, it's the most fun event out there. Um, when slalom is not going well, it's not very much fun. <laughs> yeah, but uh, by the time it was going well and I was like, skiing while I was confident and I I thought it was like one of the I had a good chance in the slalom in the actual slalom like true slalom event um but in the combined my downhill was not very good at the time I mean it was like okay if it was steep but it wasn't like elite level um so I thought there was a chance and actually like that morning of the of the event I was riding up with one of my buddies on the Norwegian team Shatil Jansrud, who is still racing, he's became one of the best speed skiers in the world. But at the time, he was also a slalom skier, actually. And we Did were... Uh, at world champs? Was was he first in the world champs and you were second? Is that how that worked? Or was that... No, I, I don't know what he was. He uh, Raphael Fessler, who okay. never ended up doing on World Cup, won the okay. World Juniors. He was second in the giant... Uh, Jansrud was second in the giant slalom, I think. Okay. Um, but anyhow, like we were riding up the lift with each other before the downhill 
to inspection he was like oh we actually like you know we have a chance today actually because it's two runs of long and this and that and i was like yeah 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 whatever like i yeah maybe we have a chance but that kind of like started getting the ball rolling and made me think about it a little bit more um and then after the downhill run i was in like 30 something place i forget how many seconds out but actually when i looked at the results sheet i was like oh i'm only a second off of benny reich and i'm only a couple tenths off georgie roca and i'm a couple tenths off of like some of the guys who were like going to be metal contenders um i was a long ways off Bodie, but i was like oh like i don't have a chance of getting the gold like i'm too far away from that but i'm close enough to like the guys i need to mix with to get a medal um and then we're also lucky like with how the format was the second the first round of the slalom was based on slalom points so i got to run early in the slalom and won that run by a lot and all of a sudden was in third place <laughs> And then all of a sudden, like my mind says, like, oh shit, like I have a chance at a medal here. I, I remember like actually in between runs, I was like thinking of like most of my friends at the time were like racing in college. And I was like, oh, what would like, I mean, imagine what my friends would think if I actually won Olympic medal, like, holy cow, like how cool would that be? And then I was like, okay, I, I gotta like stop thinking about like what it is and what it means and just be like, I'm just gonna go ski again, just like not worry about the results like i'm only 21 years old like if i get a medal great if i don't great but i'm gonna like go out there and like ski hard and then we'll see what happens and I ended up having another amazing set another amazing run won that run came across the finish line after being third um being in third place winning by you know second and some so i was like ooh, guaranteed a medal and then watch the next two guys come down and not being able to do it and just being like holy cow i can't believe this just happened um having yeah and my Mike. teammates steven nyman <laughs> yeah scott mccartney come out and like tackle me and like knowing i just won i was just like that is wild like i couldn't believe i just achieved a childhood dream in my first olympics first olympic event and was just kind of like bewildered by the whole thing just to think of like achieving a childhood dream like right of off the bat kind of in your career was was unfathomable i still like pinch myself today um when i think about it what did you do when you crossed that line so you'd had a run of downhill a run of slalom and you crossed the line and what what did you do when you crossed the line like in the in the finish area i mean I instantly i looked at the clock saw it was green by a big margin did like a big like swooping like i call it a fibonacci turn Fibonacci. Uh, big arcing turn um, yeah and uh actually like the camera guy was in the way so i wasn't able to finish it all the way off <laughs> um but just yeah like beyond like beyond excited yeah but but that was before i mean you still had benny reich who won the run who, who was it was in first yeah. place right to come and you had kostelich to come i mean two of the guys who were two of the best combined skiers and who were both legitimate contenders in the slalom to come. But it was almost like this Fibonacci turn was a celebration that was separate from anything that had anything to do with a medal. It was almost like a celebration of your run as a, as a spectator. Is that something that was actually going through, going through your mind? Is it 
is that am I accurate or not? Yeah, it was, I would say it was like a celebration of like feeling like I had just had an awesome run and knowing that I just got a medal. Like I was going to be pretty much just as happy if I got a bronze medal if it, or if I got a gold medal at that point, you know, like the color, the color matters a lot looking back on it, of course. But at that time, like a medal of any color was going to be just as cool um, as anything else. So I was just psyched. It was, I figured it was just going to be a bronze medal too. You know, I thought maybe I had a chance to get a silver um, based on how the run went, but I wasn't trying to do those calculations. I was just excited to have the medal. Which is so cool. I remember seeing you do that because Adel Bowden was the, was the combined before that, I believe. And, and remember watching you and there was just one run of downhill and one run of, uh, of slalom there. And I remember watching you and going, you know, he's got something going on that is just, that is just helpful. Cause I mean, you're talking about the idea of free skiing. You're talking about the idea of skiing to your ability, but one of the hardest things to do in skiing is, and, and this sounds so counterintuitive, is actually to have fun, to go out there and have fun. And, and, and you looked like you were having fun. And I was like, okay, it looks like he's, it looks like he's set up for, for success. And, and were you able to, uh, was that something that, that you felt like you wanted to, to bottle? Like this idea of like, I'm having fun, like rem remember this moment. I mean, I wish I could bottle a feeling after any win. <laughs> I mean, especially that win. Um, I mean, it's such like, it in skiing or any sports, like when you, you have like all this like bottled up tension and like anxiety or what, like these like nervous feelings of like trying to like perform at your best. And when you come through and do it, it is, it's definitely like an explosion of joy and relief and all these emotions. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's like, like I say, something I'll for, like, I'll miss, like in this next phase of my life is all like, it's, there'll be different things to triumph over, but the, like the, the combustible energy of, of actually like competing in sports and having that all like blow up and come through and like that winning feeling is just like it's it'll come in drips and other things and i'm sure in life um but to have it you know set be such a an intense combustible thing it's it's hard to get that anywhere anywhere else in life i'd imagine it's hard for it to be as small and exact you know and to have that deadline of like there is a race on saturday yeah. And you race that, and you know, whatever race it is. And it's that minute, minute and a half, you know, whatever, whatever Vangen is to 50 or whatever that is. Uh, but, but whatever that period of time, it's, it's hard to have that in your, in your regular life. And I think it's one of those things that it's, I mean, it's been 17 years for me since I retired. <laughs> yeah. And I still, I still think about it, you know, I still think about how do I transfer kind of the, that, that moment and create that moment in my yeah. life when things really matter on such a, on such a critical level. Did you start uh, Shred Optics after Torino? Was, was it yeah. after yeah. Shred? So you're 21 years old. Yeah, I started that, that next summer. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, for at the time, like in the ski world, like either you had racing gear, like the Hubexes and Carreras, or you had like the Oakleys and Smiths and stuff like that that were like cooler, but like the Oakleys and Smiths didn't work for ski racing. They're way too small. Like you were like, you couldn't see where you're like in a tuck. And I wouldn't be caught dead, like skiing around, like free skiing Park City or around with my friends. Like I didn't want to be wearing UVEX or Carrera. I thought there was like a need for something that like had a big field of view, like kind of check the boxes of what I needed to perform while also like being cool and fun and younger. And that was like really the impetus for, for starting Shred. Um, but, like I just wasn't happy with what, I, what my, my options were. Um, and I had a friend who started SlyTech Protective Gear a couple of years before that. He was Italian. He was in Park City that summer. We were on a mountain bike ride. He was staying in my house and we're like, I'm talking to him about this idea for Shred. Like I had the idea, like it was forming in my mind and he's like, oh, I love that idea. Like, that's a really cool idea. And I think I have some like ideas and ways we can actually make this happen. So that was in July. And then we had prototypes in August. And then we had like a product, just like a few products for like up myself and a couple other athletes to wear come November and then started rolling from there. So it was like no real plan or planning to it. It's just like me thinking there was like a need or a niche to fill and wearing something that I was like proud of that would give me, you know, confidence in the mountains and help me perform, but also was cool enough that I felt like people would want to wear it. Um, and we started from there. It was like a very naive, <laughs> immature way of going about the business. Cause we had no plans. It was just like very organic um, and went from there. Yeah. Did you think it was going to happen or were you just kind of like thinking out loud, like, oh, we need this. There's not this thing that that melds the like the cool with the functional. Did you think you were just thinking out loud or, or did you think it was actually going to happen? It was a little bit of both. Like I had the idea and I wanted to make it happen. I also like was in the midst of my career and didn't necessarily have the means on my own to go like make it happen. So luckily like Carlo like was there, like he was there at the right moment in the idea iteration process and was the right, right person to, to like understand the idea, get it and like know how to make it happen. Um, so it was like, it was like kind of the perfect marriage and combination. I mean, neither of us were like really, burgeoning business people we just both had a passion for the sport and and wanted to like make cool products i mean he was he's a engineer by training and you know he originally started like the production stuff just as like a little side project of his own he was like making parts for like formula one cars and helicopters and stuff like that as an engineer and just made himself these cool carbon fiber shin guards and that's like how we originally met was just prototyping stuff with each other in that regard and then that developed our friendship and he had like the wherewithal and like the 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 initiative to like take it that next step so you saw his his shin guards and and decided and thought okay this is this is where the the friendship started because he's mit trained too right so 
MIT. Yeah, he ended up going to yeah business school at MIT later on. Um, he was trained at he yeah he was in uh, materials engineer in Padova, which is like kind of like the MIT in Italy. Um, and is actually one of my teammates originally saw him at a race with these shin guards, Jimmy Cochran, who was going to school as an engineer and like was like, holy cow, those things are cool. So he struck up the original conversation, but he, when we were talking to Carlo, like originally he's like, oh yeah, I can like, I can make you guys some like custom ones. Like tell me what you want in this and that. And that's like just kind of how the relationship started. Um, and so he ended up started make, making a bunch of protective gear for a few of my other teammates. And that's just how the relationship started. So it was, it was like really unplanned and organic. And then you had this idea, he had the ability to do it. And this is while you guys are on a, on a mountain bike ride. Is that right? We're on the crest trail. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just talking back and forth as you're, as you're on this ride and, and suddenly it created this company. Yeah. But so the company in a lot of ways is, is melding what's cool with what's functional, but you have, you have serious like core values that, that you've put down on paper yeah. that are where, you know, when you started doing this, I mean, it came out of an organic sort of thing, but when it started becoming a company, where did your mind go? What did you want to do with this company? I mean, I always wanted, I guess, even when I, when I started, I always had like an idea out towards like the future. I knew I'd be done with ski racing at some point and I wanted to to do something on my own and have something that was different and be involved in the industry. And so I had like kind of this like foresight in that sense, but it was like, it was just like a, it was kind of like a fun project at first. Like it wasn't really about the corporate piece of it, but as we like grew and started figuring out and as both of us matured, we like both felt like we needed to like figure out how to get our act together and like run it in a better, in a better way. And just like, so like, the company now is like a reflection of like of our of our maturity and growth in that regard and um yeah a few years into it like as it was going it was kind of like getting too complicated for him and so he went to business school um to like help us kind of like figure out how to like run it a little bit more smoothly and you know and it's, yeah it's a challenging business but we we were both so passionate about the sports that we're in, you I mean protective gear and eyewear and trying to like keep people out on the mountain longer, boost the confidence on the mountain. Um, like these are things we're really passionate about still to this day. And we always wanted to make products that like we are super proud of and psyched to wear and that would help us and our friends perform better. Um, and that's still what we're doing. So that was always, that's, that is, and always the goal of it. And, you know, trying to like build it. I mean, it's, we're like in a independent, small company in this world of conglomerates in the ski world or eyewear world so it's it's a tough uphill battle every single day um but it's uh it's exhilarating at the same time can i read the the core values i actually wrote these down yeah which, which i think are great build products of our dreams mm -hmm. cool i mean which is which is one of those that that you want to stick to as grow up inspire change innovate design for performance and perfection or protection, uh, do more with less, which I'd imagine as you're a startup company, that's one that probably 
You're like, okay, we're, we, that's definitely a part of who we are. Uh, uh, amaze our customers. Uh, fight to protect our playground, which is cool because you've definitely, even though you say you're a small player in a really big pond, you, yeah. you are concerned about giving back uh, yeah. which is which is great and giving back to the environment and continuing to be able to ski and mountain bike and do all these things be humble does that come from being from being a ski racer I mean it seems like ski racing can beat you up if you're not humble yeah there's no sport where the best in the world loses more than they wins <laughs> so that you definitely learn to be humble in, in the sport of, of ski racing and this is kind of our beginnings like trying to like yeah like approach it from a humble spot like when we start a pro when we start a product design like iteration is like being humble in our approach to it, like really taking a lot of feedback and and not be arrogant in our approach on it just trying to like make the best product we can for ourselves and and those around us and there are two more have fun and stay true to ourselves and from our previous conversation it sounds like that's a lot of your journey as an athlete as well. How were you able to balance being a full-time athlete with starting a company? I think like in a lot of ways, having a company and being an athlete was like a good mix in the sense that like, I could think about things outside the sport. It was like an escape for me in some ways. Um, it was like something else to like take my mind off the, off of the sport. And I would say like, what I always say, like about like how my involvement in the company is I'm involved in everything. and I do nothing that <laughs> really, like I couldn't like be the one executing on things. So I had to like trust the team around us, um, but involved in every decision and the product. And I would, you know, go on our production um, trips to, to Asia or to Italy or wherever it was. And I, I'd be involved in, every step of the way, but at the end of the day, I'll be off, off on the road for eight months out of the year. So I wasn't like doing a lot of the day-to-day -day execution of it. So that was something I had to like trust and rely on the rest of the team to, to really do. Um, so that's kind of how it was balanced. It was what, yeah, it's, it's hard like to balance those things when you are a full-time athlete and traveling all the time, a lot of time on the computer, a lot of time, you know, emailing and, you know, getting on Zoom or, Skype or whatever it was that we were using and FaceTiming and um, when I'd have breaks, like going to our office and this and that. So yeah, it was, it was a tough balance, but it was better than being bored. Definitely better than being bored where there, did you feel that you were lucky in some ways that you, that you didn't have to do the day to day, or did you feel like you, you would like to do the day to day or how did, how did you feel about your role within the company? It would have been impossible for me to like execute on a day-to-day -day basis because you have to have somebody there that can like follow things from right. start to finish, you know? And like, if I, if that, if the timeline for a product is a two-year timeline, I'm going to be gone for these gaps and I won't be able to follow every, I won't be able to execute on everything. I can follow along on every step of the way, but I can't be the one you know, doing every piece of those steps. So it just, it would be an impossible task to be the one doing day-to-day -day work 
I mean, there are some pieces I could do and some pieces I couldn't do, depending on what the timeline was and where we were in our, you know, cycle, um, business cycle or product cycle, whatever it was. So it just, it wouldn't be possible as a full-time athlete trying to do it at a high level and, and executing, um, because we're running, like the company is, is international. Um, my partner's Italian. So we have an office in Italy and office here and, you know, operating in a bunch of different com- countries. So it just wouldn't have been possible to like execute. Um, and that's like what I'm looking forward to is a new challenge is like being able to be a part of that team that can like start to execute and being more involved in the day to day will be, will be a new and interesting and tough challenge. And yeah, it'll be different for sure. On your website, you have some spectacular videos and, and you talk about being, being a little, a little company. I mean, how, how are you able to shoot those kinds of videos and have, have that kind of production quality on your website? How can you afford it? Um, I mean, we piece it together. It's like buddies and just like trying to do it as cheaply as possible planning. I mean, uh, yeah, it's like, sometimes it's, it's easy and sometimes it's really hard to get, get good quality stuff. So in that regard. So yeah, we just have to piece it together. I mean, it's a, it's a good team. Everybody knows like, and understands that like our budget is small. Um, and we really try to like focus, focus on the couple things we can do. I mean, when you compare us to a bigger company, we're not doing nearly as much on that side of things, but we do, yeah, we do a lot with a little, we try to do as, as much as we can with the little we have. And, um, and we, like, for the most part, a lot of our stuff is very like simple doing it ourselves, even, um, and piecing it together. Like, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge for sure. <laughs> That's, I mean, the reason I asked it is, is that was the, the answer that I anticipated, but it doesn't look that way. I mean, it looks Thank like you. <laughs> you have a great production value. I mean, the spectacular, spectacular venues, all of that stuff. And but, but at the same time, some of the de- demodicization of, of video in some ways of, of film in that you, you get a lot of really skilled people and a lot of people who are in a position where they've been shooting for a long time. Like they've been shooting their buddies doing things. And it looked like that. Getting- we rely a lot of honor athletes too for content and production stuff and like a lot of athletes in more of like the free ski snowboard mountain bike world are like used to having to like produce these kind of things so that's actually be a t- like interesting in the next like phase of my life is like trying to like create content because as a ski racer your content is being on tv a couple times a week at on a at a ski race and that's something i've tried to do like most ski racers don't really produce any content and that's something i've tried to do like with my partnership with gopro and stuff like that over the years is like try to come up with like interesting content or cool things for people to watch. And my production value isn't always that high, but now I'll have to start to, to up my game as a, as I, as I take on the next you know world of being more in the, in the free skiing and, and different, and different side of the sport. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock yourself down too much on your production value. I mean, I think you get some good stuff that gives us an opportunity yeah. to, to be, to be with you and to, to have a sense of like what it means and how you do it. 
how many athletes do you have? I mean, it's you're a small company, but there are, I mean, you might not know an exact number, but there are a lot of athletes who are wearing shred. We see a lot of Argyle in a lot of places. Yeah, we have a great team. I mean, a lot of them are just like, um, either like friends of mine or people I've known along the way or people who like, like the product or like the story. And, um, it's hard to like, yeah, off the top of my head, I don't have an exact number. It's like kind of fluctuates, but we're lucky. We have an awesome team for being a small company. We've really had a great team of athletes over the years that has really like outperformed, you know, like it's, they've done amazing things. Um, and like, that's like one of the most proud things is like when I watch, you know, like a ski or snowboard movie and there's one of our athletes in it or watching a ski race and watching like, like I took a lot of pride in like my two fave uh, who won the world champs in GS, like on our product. Like it's, it's really cool to be able to like watch some of my quote unquote, maybe rivals or competitors, but watch, like wearing my stuff and winning and all that stuff is just, is a lot of fun to be part of. And, and it's, it's cool to like see people that are my competitors wearing my gear and being psyched on it. So it's fun. That's got to be a fun and sort of weird thing in some ways too, right? Just to, like, these are your direct competitors and then yeah. and you're looking at them wearing your gear and you go, wow, like that's, that's cool too. Just hanging out in yeah. the start going, wow, like you're, you're, you're on my gear. Like this is, it's got to be one of those that's, that's a bit of a, bit of a trip as far as your, your mental view of it is concerned. Yeah. There's, you're creating this company, but then, but then you're coming back and you went from being a slalom skier. I mean, it seemed like you were a slalom skier to suddenly being a GS skier and your first win was, was in GS. Yeah. And which was, which was one of those crazy wins as well. Right. That, that what was the, the, I mean, separating like first through sixth was like six hundredths of a second or something like that. Yeah. I mean, when I grew up, I didn't want to just be a specialist. I always, my heroes growing up were the Amots and the Schuses and people who could win in every event or were on the podium in every event. Um, I loved skiing downhill. I loved skiing Super G and GS and Slalom. I loved it. I loved all the different disciplines. It just so happened that I came onto the World Cup as a Slalom skier and you kind of get funneled into trying to like break through in one event. Um, but Giant Slalom, I think always like suited me best in the sense that it was the most similar to free skiing is the most similar to what I did outside the gates and just like messing around on my skis. Um, and it had like the ability to like have the most like time in the turn where you're like turning and you could play with it. And so it just suited like my mindset and my skiing and growing up and how I grew up doing it. So I guess it was like natural that eventually like I kind of transitioned more to that side. But I think one of like the most proud things I am in my career is that I was able to get on the podium in every discipline, get be able, was able to be on the podium and down in a downhill and won world championships in super G. So that's like one of the most proud things in my career is that I was able to like be good at those other disciplines, obviously not anywhere close to the extent that I was in giant Psalm, but um, still be, you know, competitive in those disciplines is something that, was always a goal of mine. Well, in your defense, you set a pretty high standard in giant slalom. If you're if you were that good in the other events, uh, that would have been that would have been truly phenomenal. 
almost almost unbelievable <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, but yeah. when did that when did that start? When did it start happening in GS? I mean, you got the first win in GS on the more shaped skis. It was it was actually funny to watch you pick up your ski after your first win because because the ski look, just looked so short, right? It's, I mean, even just going back and forth, like you know, I watched some Stenmark uh, to prepare to prepare for this and to watch like him skiing back then to watch you skiing. But then to watch you skiing on the shape, the more shaped skis yeah. after watching you ski on, I mean, what are you skiing? What is it like 198 or something like that? Is that what you, what you were skiing? Yeah, on? 198 is what we were, fin when the last GS ski I skied on was a 198. So it's still pretty long. Um, in, I think that when I was, when my first World Cup, I was in 193. So we were always kind of in that Same. 190 ish 190 to 195 198 range um yeah like i said i grew up on the on the first generation of kids on those shape skis so like i was used to like skiing with that side cut and playing with it so um yeah and then they determined the fist determined that those skis that you grew up on were unsafe <laughs> yeah and then they were going to go back to the skis of a previous generation. I mean, this is, I mean, golf is probably similar, I guess, in some ways, right? Where there are, there are things that the general public can buy that are actually better in some ways than what the tour guys can use because, because there are rules against it. But, but how did that, did that time when they changed the skis, did that change your approach to your skiing or was it just a, another step in the evolution of it? When they made that rule change, um, I mean, I definitely was like very angry and against how it went about and everything just based on that it, we didn't have any athlete feedback and it was on safety, but there was not really any like data or like realism about it. Um, so we definitely, I fought hard against it, but once it was a done decision, I knew that like it was going to be a big change um, in the sport. And so the season before we even had the switch, I was already starting to test skis with head, starting to ski on them. And so I knew earlier than anybody else that it was going to take a different physical demanding side um, on the dryland side, but also like you're going to have to make some adjustments in both your skiing and in like the rest of your setup to adapt to these skis. Um, so I was, you know, I started working on it before anybody else. And I started having ideas on how to like make them work better earlier than anybody else. And I think they also, they did match better with my skiing in the sense that like I was able to get larger ang edge angles and was able to draw the turnout and was able to do some things in my skiing that were beneficial with those skis versus other people. But I also started working on them way earlier and understood that there was going to be a big change earlier than most people. So, you know, I changed my physical training during the summer based on how it felt to ski on those. They were way more physically demanding to ski on. Um, and I changed some things about my setup and my, and my skiing and stuff to, to help me adapt to those skis. And that ended up, you know, leading to some of the best years of my career. It, it really did. I mean, it was amazing what you were able to do in terms of, you know, winning a race by 2.75 seconds. You know, it's one of those that, that you might not be making many friends with your competitors 
but but just so cool when you're doing it. But it also it looked like it looked like you were taking an approach. I mean, you took a you took a different a different line where you're getting up getting up higher and starting to turn earlier and belly, you know. But it but it also looked like you had fallen in love with the idea of of arcing turns and yeah. just arc to arc to arc to arc, which is what you could do on the shape skis. Yeah. Which was far more challenging, one, to have that arc to arc, but then two, to also have the kind of angulation that you yeah. have because you don't have the shape of the ski to pick you back up. That ski just wants to, wants to drift. And so the, the, you know, looking at that, is that, is that how you approached it? I mean, it's almost like you approached it in a, in a sense of not necessarily just about being the fastest, but about, but about doing it correctly in the way that you were supposed to do it, at least in your mind. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I just knew there was going to be some adjustments, both like mentally and tactically and um, just like how you approach it. Like you couldn't approach the turn the same way because on the shape skis, you could kind of just gotta go straight at the course and the ski would come around and help you and you could figure it out. Maybe if you slid a little bit of the turn here, you could still get rebound out of the ski and acceleration. Whereas like you couldn't do any of those things on the, on the new ski. So I knew like, I had to do some counterintuitive things. Like, like you said, I had to go like a little bit higher and rounder and like force myself to go there in the turn to like create a clean edge and rebound. I mean, skiing is all like racing is all about like either like the only way to be fast is like shortening the distance, decreasing friction or increasing rebound you know and like you need to work on all those factors together and if you maximize for one you don't maximize for the others and so finding like the balance of those three factors like i knew there was going to be some I, in order to like get the most the least amount of friction and the most amount of rebound i'd have to like compromise distance a little bit um and so just like getting that in my mind that that was like kind of how i'd have to do go about it and like it just was like a shift of mindset and shift of way of approaching the course. And it took some time to like learn how to ski there because it was different. You were so strong coming out of the bottom of the turn. I mean, just like so strong and so clean coming out that, it, that it's almost, it's almost shocking in some ways, you know, to see, I mean, even, even versus, versus other world cup skiers to see just how strong you were consistently coming out of the bottom of the turn but also to see that angulation for you on on the aesthetic side what what is the you know because you're kind of painting a picture aren't you as, as you're skiing like like what is the thing that you say oh like that's that's that bit of perfection that I'm looking for in the turn is it the angulation is it is it the way that you're able to finish the turn uh, do, do you have that mental image or, or that, that objective? Yeah, for me, it was about like feeling just a clean arc, like no slippage in the turn, like just like rolling from like one clean edge and immediately feeling like a clean edge again. And then like using that, um, using that like force against you to like 
push and balance off of it and then get yourself like super laid over so you could pull that radius around in a tight matter where there was no slippage. Like that was like the, the thing for me was like always just trying to like feel clean. Like I was arcing like a top to bottom, nice clean turn, like go from C to C, like just like wah, wah, just like really smooth transition, transit like turns and like trying to make it like smooth and clean. That was like always like the objective and the feeling was like just trying to be like just clean. Like, and that's when you're going down bumpy, icy thing, like courses, like you, it's impossible to be clean top to bottom, but trying to like maximize that and trying to like push yourself, like challenge yourself to be clean when it doesn't, it wasn't comfortable or wasn't like, didn't seem like, yeah, wasn't comfortable and like, wasn't maybe like, didn't think it was possible. Just like continue like pushing like the limits of, of how to do that um, was always like what I strove for. And I think in order to like get that cleanliness, I had to like get into these body positions that were maybe, yeah, aspect, the aesthetic of laying it over hard. And like that type of thing was just, was like, was the feeling I strove for. Did that, did that come to you naturally? Because it, it almost seems like, like as, as I'm watching you, it's almost like, like a chain reaction kind of thing. I mean, you talk about like link turns, but it almost seems like links of a, links of a, of a chain or something like that, where it's like with the top of the turn, you're building, then you're building the middle of the turn, then you're building the, the, uh, the bottom of the turn. And, and it seems like, like it's, it, it, in some ways it almost, it, it looks absolutely beautiful, but it also seems like a painstaking process to, to, to make sure that it's like, to get the line right here, to get the line right there, because there is this sense of perfection. Is that, was, was it an exhausting process or was it a beautiful process for you? Uh, I mean, it was, it's, it was a fun process. I mean, it's when you're like racing and like skiing those courses, yeah, it's, you're exhausted at the bottom because it's, you know, right. three, five Gs every single turn, you know, 40, 50 times a, a course and, a lot of pressure on your body and you're trying to like maximize like the rebound like you're trying to like get slung shot out of every turn and um but it's a fun process like the feeling of like making clean turns down down a race course especially like when you're like on the edge was exhilarating like that's so much fun um and like you know always having to manipulate the turn like there's not like one turn you do exactly the same because the radius changes the hill falls away or there's a bump or whatever it is you're always like kind of like manipulating the turn through it and trying to like move move through it and it's uh yeah it's just like it's so different every single time so it like really keeps you engaged do you, do you look back and think you know because i mean you're sort of th this prompts that that turn at beaver creek right in in 2014 like yeah. do you do you look back at those at those at some of those turns and go yeah like like i did like you were in concert with the mountain in in such a cool way do you look back on those turns and go yeah that's that's one i did when I look back at those turns, I'm like, it kind of like gives me anxiety. Like, oh man, I can't believe I like was doing that right there. That's like kind of like a sketchy way of going over that roll. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I mean, when you're in the moment of doing it, it like, it all makes sense and it like, it feels good. And you're like trying to like push. And when you look back at it, sometimes you're like, whoa, that was a, 
that was sketchy dude like as cool as it looks and everything that was like you were you were right there from going on your side so um it's funny like you watch something like that and like can i could never go like replicate that on purpose you know it's just something you have to like do in the in the act of, act of the moment well it's kind of being in the flow isn't it like you do everything beforehand and sometimes this genius actually comes out it's your moment of of yeah. like creation and yeah. so we started with the idea of of retirement and you're in retirement but you have some cool stuff both with shred optics going yeah. on because a lot of people when they retire the hardest part is thinking that you'd given your life to something and now what do you do it's almost like your life and your youth and then yeah. in at 30 something years old you have to go and change and figure out what you're going to do as a grown-up so so looking at, at what you have with shred optics but then also you've just you've just signed this deal with shoes as well so what's the what's the deal that you have with shoes um so i'm a brand ambassador but we're I'm working with them on, you know, prototyping different ideas and coming up with, like on the design aspect and all these different aspects. So it's fun that it's not just like, oh, here's some clothes, go wear them, um, see you later. It's like, I'm, you know, I've already been involved in a few of the calls as far as trying to prototype things and ideas. And that's always been in my mindset. I mean, that's a big part of why I started Shred. I mean, with all my partners, with Head even, like, you know, I've always been really involved in, in the ski engineering side of things. So I was really excited when they approached me that they also wanted me to like be involved in the product development side of things. So that's been, that's been really fun so far. And, um, you know, I'm lucky that like I've had the career that I've had and that I can transition and keep a lot of my partners for years to come, um, and work with them and whether it's on the product side or like, on the corporate side. So, you know, I'm lucky in that sense that like I have stuff to do. Obviously it's not as like intense or it's a very different job than it was before. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, it's like, I think once we get out of COVID things will like return to more, more normalcy and I can, then I'll start being a lot busier than I am now, but uh, it's yeah it'll be an interesting ch challenge and, and it's cool to like have these different roles with these, uh, these companies and partners that I can help, you know, try to push forward in, in my own little way as, as well as being, as, as well as being an athlete. It seems like you've always been one who is, who has grown, grown into the grown within the situation. Right. And are there, are there different challenges that you're looking at in terms of these, in terms of the new jobs? I mean, the, the product development is, is stuff that you've, that you've done, but as you continue to develop and as you're not necessarily gone for eight months out of the year, are there things that you're looking at saying, okay, this is something that I wanna do that will make me better as, you know, as, as a partner in, in Shred, as a, as a brand ambassador for shoes and for whatever else you're gonna do? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, skills different skills will definitely be required in my, the next phase of life and um definitely like yeah i'll have to i'll definitely have to like evolve for sure um because i can't just rely at this point i can't rely on just being like a so-called star athlete you know i have to like bring more to the table than that nowadays um so that 
has its challenges, but it's, it's good just to like, not just sit there and rest on, rest on the laurels, you know, it's, you gotta like evolve and, and grow into these things. So, um, yeah, new skill acquisition. I definitely have to, to work on that. <laughs> well, heal up first. What's the, uh, so three kids, right? So, yep. so Jackson's going to be four. Is that right? It'll be four this summer and the twins will be one this summer. So we have our hands full. I feel actually lucky in retiring feel like having kids, it makes it like, it gives you so much purpose in it too. So that's, uh, I feel lucky in that sense um, versus, you know, some other athletes I've known retired. Having kids like gives you so much purpose and perspective. And so that's made, that's made it a lot more enjoyable these first, these first two months of retirement. <laughs> I, I would imagine that that's got to be, it's, it's almost like, like time that you that you've been given it's like a gift that you've been able to spend time with them i'd imagine especially during the winter what will be what will be the message that you want to tell them like as they get into into competing and you know having done everything that you've done what will you tell them i mean i definitely i don't want to push them into whatever sport in any direction i mean if they want to be ski racers that's fantastic i don't want to be their coach. I will support them in whatever their endeavors are. I want them to ski race to the point where they can go anywhere in the world with me and keep up and ski at a high level. Um, so that's ski racing until you're like 12 years old, probably. <laughs> um, but if they want to pursue it more, that's, that's great. If they don't want to pursue it, that's fine with me too. I want them to, I think one thing's like my parents always instilled in me was like the sense of ownership and like, having an individual individual goals and um your own pursuits and all that so hopefully i can foster that in them and they can find their own ways and ways to be their own individuals and ways to express themselves at a high level and whatever that is they do and hopefully i can instill some of that work ethic that i have and um that individualistic approach and all that so um it'll be interesting. I mean, it's definitely a very different and challenge parenting is than, than anything else. That's for sure. Exactly. They're so young right now. What do you think the story that they'll tell about you will be? I mean, I think Jax will maybe remember a little bit of me as a, as a ski racer. Um, I was like, part of my goal is like before this year, I, I was going to try to go through the Olympics and have him come to Olympics with me and, have that be uh, be something that maybe he'd remember and could carry with him. It didn't end up going that way. And it's just, it wasn't going to be, did, yeah, plans don't always, they change. So, um, but like he, like, it's kind of funny. He goes to Deer Valley Academy and they ski a couple of days a week. And he like, a few weeks ago, he brought home like a medal from it. And he's like, oh, daddy, look what I won. And he's, he's like, I was like, oh, that's cool. Daddy's won a couple of medals too. And then we went out and like, had to like, took us a half an hour or so to find my gold medals. And he like thought they're so cool. And then he was like wearing those, let's go show mom our medals. And so he kind of, I think has a little bit of a very rudimentary understanding. I mean, you know, three-year-olds, they understand nothing and they understand everything. Um, <laughs> but uh it, it's cool so i mean i think in the day these days of the internet they will definitely see what i've done um but yeah it's 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 uh it'll be it'll be cool to see see what they learn and you know i'll probably just be their parent and they'll be annoyed that i'm 
around and you know I'll, I'll, I'll be that annoying dad but hopefully I, they can look back and get dad did some cool stuff <laughs> well that's that's one of your core values right be humble and uh, you can go from having been like really cool or thinking that you were really cool to your kids going yeah dad you're not nearly as cool as you think you are yeah <laughs> Ted, thanks a ton for joining yeah, us and uh you know i just Hope you heal up quickly and get back to get back to enjoying life after after retirement. And yeah, thank you all for for joining us today. Uh, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe. Please uh, please follow us. Apple, Spotify, YouTube. You can see this on YouTube. You can actually watch us on YouTube. So so please tell your friends and please subscribe. And uh, thank you very much. And thanks again, Ted. And look forward to actually making some turns with you I, actually, I i wrote a blog at one point and i didn't know that anybody actually read my blogs this was before sochi and and i wrote a blog and so it was right like the week before sochi and i was skiing at deer valley and i was like wrote it about like trying to ski like ted you know like i had my hip on the ground and all that yeah. stuff and everything and i think i was there the next week and and your mother came up to me she's like that was a great blog and i was like oh you got that <laughs> Like, I, I just thought it was almost like a diary, you know, that, that nobody actually read it. So, so I've been trying to ski like you. I'd be more than happy to, to jump in behind you and try to copy you as best I can. Definitely have to take some turns. That'll be fun. That'll be great fun. All right. Well, thanks a ton. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to Chris Whiteout Living It for more stories on the adaptive community, the Paralympics, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, experts in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next week.